All right, we are back here from the NFL Combine in Indy. The offseason is about to heat up. And joining me now, he is one of my favorites. He writes the Football Morning in America column that comes out every Monday morning for NBC Sports. It is the great Peter King. Peter, thanks for doing thanks for doing this. Great to see you again. Great. Pleasure to be with you, Ari. Now, hey, it was good to meet you at the Combine. That was fun. You're I'm walking along in a hallway there, and here you come. And it was uh, it was good, good to finally uh meet somebody who I've followed for a while and uh, you're doing a great job. I appreciate that. And yeah, yeah, I mean, the combine, just walking around, seeing a bunch of people who you're writing about and people you talk to, people you see on social media, whatever it is, congregating in one place and just seeing everybody. It's um, quite the experience. And, um, you know, you always read about how people wanted to stay in Indianapolis and why it's so great. Now I understand why they say that it is literally the perfect spot. I mean, there's a lot of cities in the United States, yeah. obviously, that are big enough and have enough hotel rooms to host the scouting combine. But the problem is what happens is that uh, they're they're spread out. And right. Indianapolis is the least spread out, decent sized city in America. And so to me, I just think that, um, and I wrote about this in my column on Monday, yeah. I think Indianapolis is going to have it one more year. Um, and for people who say, well, who cares? And really, it's not a big story, but the reason that it matters to people is, and I give you a great example. The other day, I was going to meet Mickey Loomis, the Saints general manager. Uh, we were going to meet uh, for lunch about 12 or 12, 15 and I'm waiting there, waiting there. It's like 1225 and he walks in and he had come from the furthest place uh, that he could have come from in the downtown area. And what was really odd is that he was kind of huffing and puffing. Hey, sorry, I'm late. But I mean, he was seven minutes late. If you if you have it anywhere where people have to be in cars in midday and you have tight schedules. Everybody's going to be late for everything. So it's just kind of a it's just kind of an odd thing that I really think that there will be quite a few coaches, a general, all the general managers and scouts will go regardless where it is. But I think quite a few coaches won't go uh, and they'll just catch up uh, on video. And, and honestly, as one said, I mean, really, I can watch this on TV just as well. I get a better view of it, honestly, than from the box where we're in with binoculars. So I, I do think it'll stay in Indy for one more year, but at the end of the day, it wouldn't be the decline of Western civilization if it didn't. Right. And again, like if you're there, you understand how the stadium, the convention center, the hotels, the bars, the restaurants, they're all connected. You barely have to step outside, which is what makes it all so great. You mentioned your column. Before I get into all the nitty and gritty, I'm someone who's very into, I guess, the behind the scenes of how everything comes together. I was kind of curious. I don't know how many people have asked you before, but how long does it take you to actually put it all together? Because it's so detailed and there are so many nuggets in there and you talk to so many different people for it all to come together. On average, how long does it take to put that all together? During the season, Ari, I usually start putting it together on Friday morning. And I would say I probably write about 50% of the column before any of the Sunday games start. Then uh, if something great happens, 
in the Sunday night game. Uh, I'd say three or four times a year, I throw everything out the window at 11 o'clock at night and turn my direct, turn my attention to making sure I get something out of the Sunday night game. And then everything else moves down in the column a bit. Try to be done by 3 a.m. That's pretty much how I do it. Right. I mean, and that's kind of why I asked, because people don't get to see the behind the scenes of how everything comes together and the jobs that we all do. And there's a lot of work. And sometimes it goes, especially for you, until three in the morning, two in the morning, whatever it is. There's a lot, a lot of work that goes into it. And people don't really appreciate it, I guess. And that's kind of why I wanted to ask just to get the, the inner workings of how it all comes together. It's always tremendous, always a must read. And I feel like one of the main topics in your upcoming column here this this Monday will probably be Calvin Ridley and what happened here this week with him getting suspended for at least one year for betting on NFL games. I guess let me start with your initial reaction when it all came through, when it all happened. What was your initial reaction? At first, first, obviously, it's it's shocking because it's just, wasn't thinking of that. So a lot of times something happens around the NFL. Same thing, it'll be whenever Aaron Rodgers makes his decision and announces it. I mean, by the time people are listening to this, who knows, maybe he will have done that, but that'll be a, and that's the way this was. But upon further review, as they say, um, I don't really think it should be shocking because uh, I don't know. I wrote about this recently. There was a story in the New York times in February about how in the first, I think it was five weeks, might've been six weeks of legalized sports gambling in the state of New York. One out of every six adults uh, got the app to gamble on sports with one of the, you know, Caesars, DraftKings, whoever. Uh, And, you know, just think about that. That's over 2 million people. Over 2 million people decided that they were going to take advantage of this new thing, legalized sports gambling. And I think it would be unrealistic to think that if the, if there are, I think there's 1,696 active players in the NFL at a given time, there's probably another 800 to a thousand at a given time who are either on injured reserve or practice squads around the league. So you add all that together and you say, okay, let's just round it off. 2,700 men between the age of 21 and 40 who are very much, uh, you know, they're very young, uh, very able to be influenced by trends and what's going on in the modern world. I think it'd be incredibly naive to think that a lot of those players somehow, some way are not somehow gambling on something. Okay. So it's legal for NFL players to play blackjack and to do things like that. But obviously it's not legal for them to gamble on NFL games. Now you and I might look at this and say, why in the world was Calvin Ridley using his own name? You know, and probably I would assume a credit card with Calvin Ridley on it. I mean, I don't know. I, I would think if a guy who knows that it's illegal 
and it's against the NFL rules to do that. Wouldn't you, uh, I don't know, wouldn't you maybe use either, not necessarily a pseudonym, but like, let's say your girlfriend had a, had a credit card and you just used hers and you used the name, whatever, John Doe. I don't know. I, I don't know how. I haven't really thought it through about how to do it, but it just seems a little weird and a little bit naive that a guy would use his own name. And I heard a credit card that was traced to him uh, and an app that had it in his name just seems a little bit not too smart if you're trying to do something and not get caught. But I would be surprised if that's the only time this happens in the next few months or years, Ari. Here's the thing for me, because you mentioned a couple of the betting companies. The league has seven gambling sponsors right now. The ads are all over the place. They have all these promo codes that entice you to want to try it. It's never been easier. All you need is a phone. I guess players could learn from Calvin and say, fine, we won't do it on our own phone. We won't do it under our own name. But there are for sure players who are using their cousins or their friends or their girlfriends, whatever it is. How does the league stop that? It's, you know, it's going to become an issue, right? I would think, I would think that would, that would be something that's going to be very hard to police. In fact, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of a third day angle for my column next Monday, and I've already put out a couple of lines, um, both one inside the NFL and one out about almost exactly that same topic. What, what kind of fascinates me is, you know, the infrastructure that's set up to make sure that NFL players aren't gambling, number one, because I think people would be interested. I don't really know what it is. And so I'm going to do something on that. The other thing I'm going to do is to do something on how odd it is that uh, that anybody could ever think this was an outlier now that sports gambling has become legal in so many places in the country. I mean, I'm not saying this is going to be like COVID where in December 400 players test positive, but I think absolutely unequivocally that Calvin Ridley is not going to be the only one. All right. So this is, you know, it just went down. I'm sure we're going to be talking about it for the next couple of weeks, probably months, and it'll continue to be a topic as gambling becomes bigger. I want to shift over right now to this franchise tags that are going on right now as we speak. You know, there were three tight ends tagged. Several other guys are getting tagged, taking them off the market. I was kind of curious just to hear your perspective on why the NFLPA has never tried to go all into eliminate it or at least change how it can be used you know maybe just the quarterbacks or you can only do it once why is it still a thing after this latest cba i think it just doesn't affect enough people i mean if you think about it how many guys get tagged every year seven or eight i mean is it worth it's, it's been how, however 15. many yeah i mean yeah uh i mean it's varied over the years but I think, and I think most quarterbacks know that a team is never going to let, let him go to market. I mean, like, look at the Aaron Rodgers thing last year. 
Now, Brian Gutekunst, the general manager of the Packers, uh, said at the combine that there's no deal in place that if Aaron wants a trade, he will be traded. I can tell you that is not the understanding of the Rodgers camp. So we'll see what happens in that. But Aaron Rodgers, basically, to get him to come back, uh, you know, the Packers assured him that they would not use the franchise tag on him in 2023, which would mean that like when Tom Brady was a free agent at 42, um, you know, he was in play in a lot of places and obviously he signed somewhere and won a Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers would be in play at 39 with no, I mean, he's had some injuries, but he's got no current injury history. He's a fanatic about taking care of himself and doing all the this sort of offbeat things that um, can keep a person healthier longer. Um, so he won a huge concession from the Packers, number one. But Ari, I think the fact is that it's just not something that in that influences enough people to the point that they would sacrifice major gains in another area basically to make 15 to 20 players happy. It just, it just doesn't feel, affect, it doesn't feel affect like the players. There could be a trickle down effect. If those guys make it to the market though, if a guy like Dalton Schultz makes it to the market and he's able to get 16 a year, that could help the next tight end is looking to get a deal as well. If you know what I mean? There could be a trickle down effect. You're right, because there there always is. But look at what the Baltimore Ravens did last year. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. They did uh, Marlon Humphrey. I mean, the two guys that they did big contracts with last year. Now, they did Ronnie Stanley, but they also did did, uh, Marlon Humphrey. Yeah. And they did... Uh, Mark Andrews. All right. So Marlon Humphrey wanted Jalen Ramsey money and a little more. Yeah. Okay. Mark Andrews wanted Travis Kelsey money and a little more. And the Ravens basically said, we're not going to do it, you know, and we'll make a deal with you, but we're not going to pay you at that level. And so I think you'd have to look it up, but my memory, if my memory serves, each of them signed for about two to three million under what the high bar was in the NFL. And look, I know nobody wants to hear it, but it's absolutely unequivocally the case. If you want to build a great team, you can't pay everyone at the top of the market, period. It's why, I mean, at the end of this coming year, if the Ravens play great and, uh, and, and Lamar Jackson plays great in the playoffs, the Ravens will probably pay him right at the Mahomes level or maybe higher. The reason I don't think they'll pay him at the Mahomes level, uh, I, I don't know what they would pay him. I, I really don't. That's been like a mystery. But it strikes me that the Ravens are, love Lamar, They want to pay Lamar, but he's played four playoff games. He's averaged, his offense has averaged scoring 13 points a game 
in those four games. He has not played well, I don't think, in any of the four games. So if you're the Ravens, you have to ask yourself, we want to keep this team intact and we want to keep Lamar as our quarterback. But if he, without an agent, is going to insist being up here, then that's, I mean, just my feeling, watching the Ravens over the years, I think it'll probably be, you know, a non-starter for them because look at what Mark Andrews did this year. He was the best tight end statistically and probably in an impact way in football. Mm -hmm. And the Ravens paid him, I don't know what the number is, whatever, 14 or 15 a year. But, and that's why to me, contract piggyback, contract hopscotch, I think I understand that it's a way of doing business, but I think some of the really smart teams don't let their lives be ruled by it. Look at how many guys, for instance, that the Ravens have let walk. The Ravens now in a, in a, in a draft year that will be ruled by the middle rounds, by like rounds two, three, and four. They have eight picks in the third and fourth rounds. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons they have those is that they're willing to let people go. And you've seen it over the years. They always let high priced, especially front seven guys. That's been their history. And then they just draft guys in the third or fourth round. Sometimes they don't work. Often they do. But anyway, it's a long winded answer of saying that. I mean, I think if the Cowboys do a long-term deal with Dalton Schultz and pay him what Travis Kelsey is making. I just think it's stupid, stupid. All right. We'll see what happens there. The Cowboys have a bunch of different big time contracts on the books already, but they already have officially tagged Dalton Schultz. You mentioned Lamar Jackson. You mentioned his contract situation. Another quarterback dealing with a contract situation is Kyler Murray. And that situation has taken so many twists and turns and we're only in March it's kind of cooled off in the public a little bit, but it's nowhere near over. Looking at what's going on over there, I mean, the way they've approached this whole thing with the agent coming out of a statement, is that the right way to do it? You know what I mean? I think Eric Burkhart, the agent for Kyler Murray, uh, has sat back. He knows the Cardinals very well. He's close to Steve Kime, the general manager. He is the agent for Cliff Kingsbury, the coach. Yeah. And he has watched how they've done business for a long time. He believes that nice guys do not win with the Arizona Cardinals. And they don't win contracts. And my whole thing, I, 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 when I first saw this, I thought this is really a bad move by Eric Burkhart. Why burn the boats right away? Why, why don't you sort of enter into this, uh, into a long-term negotiation, get something done, hopefully, before the start of training camp? I don't, I don't know this, but now that I've seen it, uh, talk to a bunch of people at the Combine about it, I think that uh, Burkhart, one of Burkhart's motives here is, that he's trying to get some team to step to the plate to offer a ransom to the Cardinals so that they would trade Kyler Murray for four ones or some stupid 
I don't, I don't even think that's stupid. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's part of it. But I also think the other thing is, and I wrote this in my column, if something doesn't get done about that contract, I would put money on Kyler Murray not playing this year for the Cardinals at 5.5 million. Because first of all, he's a small guy. He's playing behind an offensive line that, you know, he would never say it, but you just have to watch the games. Kyler Murray got abused a lot this year. So would you play behind that line in your third year in the NFL, making 5.5, knowing that if you get a significant injury, it really could affect your second contract and it will affect your second contract. I think that is part of it. And I think that the other thing that is in both Murray's favor uh, and works against the Cardinals is that, um, you know, that franchise won 11 games this year, the year before Kyler Murray got there, they won three and had the first pick in the draft. The Cardinals are a factor right now. And why are they a factor? They're a factor because they got an exciting quarterback who keeps them in games and, and all that. And I'm not saying he's a top five. I'm not, I, I don't, cause I don't think he is. He might turn out to be at some point. What is it? Whatever he is now, ninth, 10th, 12th quarterback. I don't know how you do that stuff, but in my opinion, I think this is, has the potential to be a difficult, uh, a difficult off season in summer for the Arizona Cardinals. Yep. And he's, he's put all the pressure on them. And there were some people who believed, you know, since Cliff is entering the final year of his deal, maybe that's why Kyler wants to get an extension done now in case something happens to Cliff, but now Cliff now has a deal in place till 2027. So that can be, but um, they've put a lot of pressure. You know, he's always mentioned baseball is probably the worst time ever to do baseball. So um, we got to put that. I don't think baseball, I don't think, I don't think baseball is a factor. Yeah. But I don't think it's, it's not, it's it's not a, Ari, it's not a factor Yeah, because look, if, if down the road, he has to make a decision like that. Maybe he will this, the, uh, I can tell you they're not going to use baseball as an X factor in this. And if he does, the Cardinals will know he's full of it. He doesn't want to play baseball. Yeah. He wants to play football. That's that is far and away uh, his number one choice. And, you know, look, if you looked at the last 10 years of the top 10 picks in the baseball draft. This is just a guess. I would guess the odds of becoming an everyday player. <coughs> you know, it's, it's probably uh, out of the top 10 of the draft <coughs> is probably three or four in 10. There's, there are more washouts in the draft than there are great players. And I forget this number, but I looked at it when he got drafted. He only had, I think, in college baseball, 70 or 80 at-bats. I mean, this is a projection that that the Oakland A's did with him. Right. And I could be really wrong on that. I shouldn't have even said that. But he didn't, he was not, he didn't play for two full years, you know, in the in the Big 12 in baseball or whatever 
Are they in the Big 12? I forget what they Whatever it is, Whatever. there's a whole ladder you have to go through in order to get yes. to the big leagues anyway. So it would, yeah. it would take time. So, like, I know he's mentioned it. He's randomly brought it up. It's not something anybody believes, anybody believes could happen. But whatever it is, it's something that's going on right now. And as frequency comes very, very close here, it's still going to be a topic in Arizona. Sticking to the NFC West for a second, you mentioned your column this week. Kirk Herbstreet is going to take the Thursday night football job. I'm looking at the money that people are being thrown at to come and do this. And I look around the NFL at guys like a Sean McVay who could be offered big time money. Do you feel like where things are going right now, media wise, that coaches and possibly players as well will call it quits earlier or take time off earlier than in the past in order to do the media, just because there's similar money or maybe more money to do it. And I guess it's less stressful to do that. Well, to me, Ari, there's two questions. First question, is Ali Marpet an outlier? He's made $26 million and he's retiring at age 28, according to his dad, who told Rick Stroud, uh, the beat guy down in Tampa, he's retiring because he wants to be healthy for the rest of his life. Totally understandable. That's different than retiring to go on television. There's a very limited number of people, coaches and players in the NFL who can make a jillion dollars going on TV. Like I've had many conversations and been with Sean Payton a lot over the years. I think he's a top 10 football person who'd be great in the booth. Okay. It'd be good in the studio too. Don't get me wrong, but it surprised me a little bit that nobody really went after him. So that tells me how many people right now who are playing football have the kind of personality, name, uh, Q rating that could make uh, a broadcaster throw $15 million at them or 12 million, whatever it is. I just, I don't think there are many of those now. I mean, Sean McVay, then who else? Really? Tom Brady would make that money, but after two years, somebody would probably find out. And I have no idea how Brady would be on TV, but it reminds me a long time ago, Lawrence Taylor, when he left football, he boasted to Phil Sims that he was going to make a million a year, the same as he had made in football. He was going to make a million a year to go on TV and to talk about football. And he signed, I think, with TNT. They did Thursday night football, if I'm not mistaken. And he signed and he worked one year and he made one million. And then, you know what? They didn't want him anymore. You know why? He never said anything. He wasn't good on TV. Mm. He thought he could just show up and do the job. So, hey, I think Tom Brady, if he set his mind to it, could be great at it. But the fact is, how many guys want to do that and want to work at it and want to be great at it. I think a lot of people over the years have seen TV is as a great landing spot after I play football. It is, but long-term, you're never going to make a long-term buck out of it unless you're good on TV. So I don't really think you're going to see a lot of people retire early to go on TV. Interesting. Last one here before I wrap this up. You mentioned Tom Brady. Are you a believer that he's fully retired or could we see him coming back here? Because he really hasn't shut the door yet. 
I'm not a believer that he's fully retired. If I had to bet right now, I would bet that he would play again, but I easily could be wrong on that. I think that, uh, you know, Mike Florio wrote about this, the fact that uh, Sean Payton, if he could have, if it all worked out well, and there's a lot of roadblocks in the way, uh, taking the Miami job, coach Tom Brady for a couple of years, that's the only way he would have wanted to go back and coach football this year. Uh, that was at least uh, Mike's story. And I firmly believe that it's, it's accurate. Um, so, but I do think that Tom Brady would have to have a place to go that he would have a chance to win with a coach who he felt was good and he could win with. That's just all my guess. It's one of the reasons why I don't absolutely shut the door on Tampa. We'll see what happens, but I am probably in the 55-45 camp that I think he could play again. Yep. I mean, he was right there for the MVP voting this year. We'll see what Tampa Bay does this offseason. You know, Godwin is um, either getting tagged or an extension here coming up in the next couple of hours, but they have a bunch of key free agents out there. How the roster will look once um, Tom decides if he wants to come back will obviously play a huge factor there. All right, Peter, I want to thank you for taking the time. You've been an inspiration to many of us. We love your work. Keep on doing all the, all the great work. And um, hopefully you could do this again down the line here in the offseason. Ari, thanks a lot. You're off to a great start. Good luck. Call anytime. Appreciate it.